All right, a little short joke this morning just to kind of warm you up. What do you get if you cross a Christmas tree with an iPad? Answer, pineapple. That's one of my more intellectual jokes. You'll think about it. You'll, you'll, you'll catch on to that. Feel free to use that, by the way, if you'd like. <laughs> Who's asking? Yeah, all right, all right. Um, well, actually, we are moving towards Christmas. It's hard to believe that Christmas is maybe just a little over a week away. And so we are moving our focus and hearts towards Christmas. And this morning, I'm going to talk to you about will you miss Christmas? Will you miss Christmas? Lord, just... Uh, Thank you for this season. I always find it amazing. I I consider it the greatest miracle, the greatest act in human history when you took on human flesh and appeared to your creation. Lord, I pray that uh, familiarity doesn't breed a kind of contempt. But we would recognize it was the greatest act of love also and what Jesus, God in flesh, accomplished. And so as we move towards this Christmas season, I just ask that you would give us a heart of wonder, a heart of curiosity, and that we wouldn't just pass through it because we do it every year, but that we really stop and we really think what transpired 2,000 years ago and how all of human history changed. So I thank you for everyone that was able to make it out here this morning. I ask that you would give them now the soft hearts. You've drove, invited them here. So I ask that you give them soft hearts to receive and ears to hear. I ask that you would fill me up and that I would truly speak your words, your words of life this morning. And I ask for this in your precious name. Amen. You know, 2,000 years ago, God broke into human history, and he came in a way that most people did not expect, and therefore most people actually missed him. In fact, this morning we're going to see and look at the reason why most people missed the first Christmas. The reasons range from the insidious to the innocuous, and I want to start with the insidious first. The insidious would be none other than, of course, Herod the Great. And Tim, will you put up the scriptures in Matthew chapter 2? Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw a star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone else in Jerusalem. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem, search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. You know, I look at that, and what stood out to me in those scriptures, it says Herod was disturbed. And the obvious question is, why was Herod disturbed? And the short answer is fear. King Herod had great fear. He wanted no rival to his throne. He feared losing his position. He feared losing his power and, more importantly, just his way of life. King Herod was ruled by fear. And by the way, most people are motivated and ruled by fear. And when you're ruled by fear, you oftentimes do very stupid and dumb things. Let's just take Herod, for example. Herod had 10 wives, 12 children, and one brother, Aristobulus, who was the high priest. 
Herod was afraid of Aristobulus, so you know what he did? He murdered him. On a hot day, Aristobulus was swimming, and Herod ordered some of his guards, some of his soldiers to jump in, and while Aristobulus was was swimming, they drowned him right there, the high priest. Now, 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 here's the amazing thing. At Aristobulus' funeral, King Herod stood there, and he was bawling like a baby as if somehow Aristobulus' death was an accident. Herod then had his wife murdered. You know why she was killed? Fear. He was afraid she was conspiring against him, so he had her killed. And then you know what he did? He killed her mother. Guilt by association, I guess. Herod had three sons that he feared, so you know what he did to them? He murdered them. Perhaps so Herod's most despicable act was this. Just before Herod died, and he knew he was going to die, and we'll talk about that in a moment, he had his soldiers round up some of the most distinguished citizens in all of Jerusalem, and he had them put in prison. And then at the moment of his death, his, his guards, his soldiers were to kill all of these distinguished citizens of Jerusalem, because you know what? Herod knew that no one would weep at his death. And he wanted to make sure that there was crying at his death, even if it wasn't for him. He wanted there to be weeping at his death. Herod, to say the least, was a wretched man. So when he heard that a rival king was to be born, he had no interest at all in worshiping him. In fact, we know the story that he sent some of his soldiers down to Bethlehem, which is really just a suburb of Jerusalem, And he had them kill every male child two years or less. Why two years? Because he wanted to make sure that he didn't miss him. Now, it is easy for us to dismiss King Herod. In fact, it's, it's easy to call him the great Scrooge of Christmas, right? And you know, most of us are probably thinking, there's no way I'm as bad as Herod. There is no way I'm as evil as Herod. But I say, not so fast. Not so fast. What ruled Herod again? Fear. Fear is what ruled Herod. He misses the first Christmas because of fear. He feared Jesus. He didn't want Jesus. He didn't want this would-be Messiah, this would-be king, interfering with his power, position, or lifestyle. And Herod wasn't about to allow anybody else to be king in his life. And sadly, this world is full of King Herods. In fact, you know the number one reason why people reject Jesus? You know, oftentimes you will hear that people reject Jesus for intellectual reasons. Like I said, I witness hundreds and hundreds of people every year and talk to all kinds of people, and it's really not about intellectual reasons. They'll tell you it's for intellectual reasons, but the real truth is they don't want some authoritative being in their life controlling them and telling them what to do. In fact, we see this in Psalm 2. It's one of the great psalms in the Bible, and the psalmist writes this. You can follow along up on the screen. Why are the nations so angry? Why do they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepare. You could also say the people of the earth prepare for battle. The rulers plot against the Lord, against his anointed one. That would be the Messiah. That would be Jesus. We know him in the New Testament. Now, so what you see here in Psalm 2 is that basically humanity, that's us, we're at war with God. Why are we at war with God? Look at verse 3. Let us break their chains, they cry, and free us ourselves from the slavery to God. See, that's what, why most people really reject God, not for intellectual reasons. We reject him because we don't want someone, you know, 
interfering in our lives and cramping our lifestyle. We don't want someone telling us what to do. We don't want someone to be accountable to. And watch the Lord's response, verse 4. But the one who rules in heaven laughs. That's not good. The Lord scoffs at them. Then in his anger, he rebukes them, terrifying them with this fierce fury. For the Lord declares, I have placed my chosen king on the throne in Jerusalem on the holy mountain. That's a reference to Jesus, by the way. Verse 7, the king proclaims the Lord's decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I become your father. That happened at Jesus' baptism. Only ask and I will give you the nations as your inheritance, the whole earth as your possession, for you will break them with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. Do you know what's being referred to there? When Jesus comes back, and he is coming back, we're, we're talking about his first coming, his birth, but he's coming back again, and he's going to rule and reign on planet earth. It's called the millennial kingdom. And do you see how he's going to rule and reign? It's not going to be Mr. Rogers. It's his way or the highway. There's no other way. So, so God gives us a little advice here. Here's a little advice. Watch this, verse 10. Now then, you kings, or you could say you people of the earth, act wisely. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverent fear and rejoice with trembling. Submit to God's royal son, or he will become angry, and he, you will be destroyed in the midst of all your activities. For his anger flares up in an instant, but what joy, look at that, what joy who run to him and take refuge. You know, the psalmist here tells us that we have two choices when it comes to Jesus and when it comes to Christmas. We can reject him. We can reject him, whether it's out of fear, whether it's out of we want to control our own lives, but the result is going to be this. We will live in fear. We will live in anxiety. We will be frustrated, and ultimately we will experience judgment. But the second choice is this. You can embrace him. You can embrace him. And when you embrace him, the king of all kings and, and the Lord of all lords, then you will begin to experience the true peace because he's called the prince of peace. You're looking for peace this morning, he can give you peace. You know, it says in Romans 10, verse 9, the apostle Paul writes these words, Tim, put it up. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Do you understand you can only come to Jesus one way, and that is his Lord. And if you trust in him with your heart, God the Father who raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You see, the vast majority of the people of the world, they have no trouble adding Jesus to their lives. Hindus do it all the time. We go to India. They have no trouble you know, receiving Jesus and making him a part of their lives. But what we have difficulty doing, what is very, very difficult, is to actually crown him as Lord of our lives where we are surrendering and submitting to him. Because you see, if I do that, if I surrender to Jesus, I make him Lord of my life, you know what's going to happen? I'm going to change, and you're going to change. And we're going to begin to think differently. We're going to begin to talk differently, and we're going to begin to act differently. You know, sadly, this world is just full of what I call midget kings running around. Don't be a midget king. There's all kinds of midget kings who refuse to bow the knee to Jesus. And I do pray that that will not be you or you will miss Christmas. I, you need to know this. Herod came to an inglorious end. All would-be kings, all midget kings do ultimately. 
Herod died shortly after Jesus' birth. He was 69 years old. And now listen to this. According to Doc Jan, uh, Dr. Jan Heiserman, who was a physician at Veterans Affairs in Puget Sound, Washington, she wrote of Herod's death, and I quote, now listen to this, Herod died of chronic kidney disease, complicated by a very uncomfortable case of maggot-infested gangrene of the genitals, which included intense itching, painful intestinal problems, and breathlessness, and convulsions in every limb. And then he died. And then he died. A wretched end to a wretched man. Well, now that we're all sufficiently encouraged, let's move to a second group. There's a second group that missed Christmas, and that second group is also found in Matthew chapter 2. Tim, can you put it up? King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of the religious law and asked, where is the Messiah to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are the least among all the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people, Israel. You know, When Herod hears that there's a would-be king, that there's a Messiah to rival his throne, he gathers together all of the great religious leaders in Jerusalem. They're there in Jerusalem. And, uh, you know, he, 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 he wants to know where this would-be king would be born. And now I want you to remember, these religious leaders, they have been studying for centuries the prophecies. If you read the Old Testament, there's over, well over a hundred prophecies talking about the coming of the Messiah. I mean, one of the great prophecies in all of the Old Testament, 700 years before Jesus even walked planet Earth, perhaps the greatest of the Hebrew prophets, Isaiah wrote this. And, you know, it's usually right at Christmas time. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Look at that, he'll be called Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, his government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all of eternity. Now, can you imagine? I mean, this is the event. All of Jewish people since, since David, King David in 1000 BC, all of the religious leaders, they were hoping to be born. They were waiting for the time when a Messiah would come and just redeem them. And the Magi come from the east, 1,000 miles over the Fertile Crescent, and they say to Herod, they say to these religious leaders, the time has come. Your Messiah has arrived. And you know what absolutely shocks me? They don't move. They don't go. I mean, these are the religious press. This is the clergy. They don't go. And I'm thinking to myself, why in the world do they not move? And I could only come up with one answer. Indifference. Apathy. Let me ask you this question. What is the greatest commandment in the Bible? Do you know every Jew knew what it was? It was, in, it was in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5. Tim put it up. You must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind, or all of your strength. The key word there is love. We are to love God. In other words, he's to be my consuming passion. He's to be your consuming passion. He's to be my top priority. He's to be your top priority. Now, when I ask you what is the opposite of love, what would you say? Most people would say hate, but see, it's really not. Hate is really just love gone bad. Hate is still an emotion. Hate still intensely cares. 
the real opposite of love is apathy. It's indifference. For example, let's say I had a three-year-old child, all right, and and my three-year-old child's playing in the middle of the road, and someone says to me, hey, Frank, your three-year-old, your toddler's playing in the middle of the road, and I say, ah, toddlers will be toddlers. They'll be fine. What do you think a person would think about that? They would go, man, this kid, what's wrong with this parent? He doesn't care. He doesn't love his child. And they would probably call, you know, the the child protective services and whatnot. And as hard as it is to believe, I want you to think about it. These Jewish religious leaders did not love God. They had grown apathetic towards God. You know what they did love, though? They loved themselves. They loved their position. Their position gave them money. Their position gave them power. Their position gave them prestige. But God, they couldn't even get off. They didn't have enough interest to get off their religious stuff, go two miles to Bethlehem and check out and see if God really had broken through and the Messiah had come. Now, let me ask you, what about you? Are you just running through the religious motions? Are you just playing the religious game? I'll tell you something. Please listen to me. God just hates that. In, in the book of Revelation, Jesus writes seven letters to seven churches, and one of the churches is Laodicea. You know what Laodicea means? Laos means people. Dika means rule. The people rule. So the last church in the age, Laodicea, that would be us, means the people rule. Now listen to what Jesus says to him. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write the Amen. The faithful and the true witness, the originator of God's creation says, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or I wish you were hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Wow. I mean, can you imagine making Jesus? I mean, nothing makes him more disturbed. He doesn't mind the raging atheist. Because at least they care, really. Do you know that? The raging atheist actually cares. They're angry. He loves you when you're passionate, but he can't stand it when we're lukewarm. All right. There's a third group that missed Christmas. The third group that missed Christmas were the people of Jerusalem and Bethlehem. And I find it amazing. Actually, you think of the first Christmas that night, no one from Jerusalem no one from Bethlehem. I mean, it's right in their backyard, and no one comes to see the newborn king. And I'm thinking, how is that? Why is that? On that majestic night, the night that Jesus was born, surely they had to see this. Can you imagine? They had to see that star. And you know what? They had to know the Old Testament prophecy in Numbers 24, 17 that says this. Tim, put it up. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter, a king will rise out of of Israel. I mean, do you understand the people of Jerusalem, the people of Bethlehem? They had to see that star. They knew the prophecy surrounding the star. There it is. And they just go on with their lives. Why? I could only come up with one word. They're preoccupied. They're just preoccupied with life. They're too busy looking at the ground, just running through life. The tyranny of the urgent. One preacher said it like this. The people of Jerusalem were really people of this world. Not idealists, but realists. They had their business, a family, and for that matter, their own lives to run. It's like being lost in a forest of a million trees, and each tree is a thing to be done. 
Have the chores been done? Did the children put their coats on before they went out? Have the bills been paid? What errands do I need to run today? Then there's all the worries of life. Is there enough money in the bank? What if we lose our health and can't work? Today we have food in our bellies and clothes on our backs. But what can we do to make sure that we will have them tomorrow? A million trees, a million trees, a million things. And then finally, we have eyes for nothing else. Does this sound vaguely familiar to your life? Busy just with life. Busy, 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 busy. We're busy with the things of life. It has been said that we Americans suffer from hurry sickness. In fact, we're the only country to name a mountain Rushmore. Let's get practical for a moment. Do you suffer from hurry sickness? There are four symptoms of hurry sickness. Let me give them to you. Symptom number one, looking for ways to speed up daily activities. Looking for ways to speed up daily activities. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not wild usually about the holiday times, Christmas, New Year's, because you go to the malls and what? They're crowded. You go to Price Chopper, it's crowded. But Susan likes me to go to Price, she considered that's our date. We're an exciting couple together. Honey, let's go on a date, let's go to Price Chopper. So we go to Price Chopper. You go now, the lines are huge, they're long. So you know what I do when we get to the checkout area? I look and I quickly survey which is going to be the shortest line. I go what I believe is going to be the shortest line and the fastest line. And then you know what I do? I look to the right and I begin to count the people and see where I would have been if I had chosen that line. Oh, come on, you guys do this. That's why you're laughing. Then you know what you do? You watch them. And if they move slower than you're moving, you go, yes! It's a great day. No, it's a great day. But if they start moving faster than you, no, come on, admit it, you become angry and and you become frustrated. Now, see, if that's you and you know who you are, then you suffer from hurry sickness. Now, there's a second symptom of hurry sickness, and the second symptom, uh, our symptom is what I call polyphasic activity. Polyphasic activity is where you do more than one thing at a time, and a great place to do polyphasic activities in the car. Have you ever been driving along? No, really. Have you ever been driving along and you see someone doing polyphasic activity? So there you are. You look over and there's the person and they're eating, you know, they're eating their McDonald's, uh, you know, Egg McMuffin. They got the coffee thing going. They're monitoring the radio. They're on their cell phone. They're putting their makeup on. They're making various gestures at, at various drivers passing by all while driving. See, that would be called polyphasic activity. And if that is you and you know who you are, then you suffer from hurry sickness. Symptom number three, inability just to relax. Inability just to relax. You see these people on vacation. I remember, have you ever gone to like a beach? And there on the beach, you know, you'll see someone who suffers from hurry sickness because they'll be in their chair, right? And what do they got in their lap? They got their laptop. And of course, they got their phone and they're conducting business. See, that's someone who suffers from hurry sickness If that's you and you know who you are, then you do suffer from hurry sickness. Finally, symptom number four, and it's perhaps probably the most serious symptom of all of hurry sickness, a diminished capacity to love. You see, the ability to love and busyness are fundamentally incompatible. Let me give you a quick quiz. Let's say you're driving to work. And as you're driving to work, you look and you suddenly see someone, a driver who's stranded, a driver who needs help. What do you do? Number one, do you pray? 
and pray that someone else will stop and help them? Number two, do you close your eyes and pretend that they're not there? Don't recommend that one. Number three, do you actually stop and help them? Do you know that they've actually done studies on this? Do you know that over 75% of people will pass by the person? Why will they pass by the person? Because they are a slave to the tyranny of the urgent. And when we're a slave to the tyranny of the urgent, we miss what's really important in life. And you know what's really sad? The people of Jerusalem, the people of Bethlehem, they were just a slave to the tyranny of the urgent. You know, they were looking down. They were looking at what they had to do. They didn't even see the star in the sky and probably didn't even think about the prophecy. And they missed the most important event in human history. Right there in the backyard, God broke through and put on human skin, and they missed him. They missed what was really important. All right, let me challenge us. Let me challenge us. Do you know who was there for the first Christmas? Tim put it up. I find it interesting. The shepherds. The shepherds were there on that first Christmas. Stinking, smelly, lowly shepherds were there. And in fact, not only were they there, the reason why they were there is because God gave them a special invitation. Did you know that? No, God gave them a special invitation to be there. In fact, in Luke chapter 2, we're told this. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, he has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven. Can you imagine that scene? Just breaking through, praising the God and saying, glory to God in the highest of heaven and peace on earth to those whom God has pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Because of that special invitation, those stinking, lowly shepherds, they're the only ones that were there, actually, at that first Christmas. Now, let me just see if I can give you a feel for this. Prince William was born June 21st, 1982, to Prince Charles and Lady Diana. They sent out royal announcements to the Prime Minister of England to members of parliament, to the president of the United States, other heads of state, various famous people, and some close personal friends. Now, as far as I know, though, no truck drivers, no construction workers or carnival workers received a royal announcement. I didn't get one either. Terribly disappointed about that. Yet, no, 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 I want you to think about this. Yet, the God of the universe, when his son is born comes into this world, he gives a special invitation, not really ultimately to Herod, not to the religious leaders, not even to the people of Israel. He gives it to the stinking, lowly rejects of society, the shepherds. Why? No, no, why? Why them? You know, there's a small cathedral, as I understand it, outside of Bethlehem. Not yet, Tim, don't put the picture up. Now you gave away the surprise. 
But there's a special cathedral just outside Bethlehem. And He saved himself. I'd given him a Christmas present. I was about to take it back. All right, as I said, why the shepherds? I think you'll find this interesting, though. There, there is a, if, you, if you go to Bethlehem, and just outside there is a small cathedral, and it's supposed to mark the supposed birthplace of where Jesus was born. And behind, if you go into the cathedral, behind the altar, the high altar, there, there, there is a cave which is marked by silver lamps. Now, you can enter the cathedral standing up. In fact, you can walk around this small cathedral, and you can really just admire the incredible architecture of this rather ancient church. And by the way, you can also enter the cave. And if you enter the cave, you will see a star embedded in the stone, and that star is supposed to mark the exact place where Jesus Christ was born. Now, here's the interesting part. Here's the rest of the story. There is one stipulation. You see, if you are going to go to that cave and you are going to actually be able to see the star where Jesus was supposedly born, you can't do it standing up. You can only do it. Now, Tim, you can put up the picture. You can only do it by kneeling. You can only do it by kneeling. There it is. You see, you can walk in this world. You can be like Herod. You can be like the religious leaders. You can even be like the regular people like Bethlehem and Jerusalem. And you can stand tall. And you can think that you're something. And you can think that you're self-sufficient. But you'll miss him. You'll miss him. But you see, if you're going to see the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, if you're really going to see Jesus Christ, if you're going to really experience Christmas, then you're only going to do it on your knees. You can only do it. In fact, on your knees, and this is why so many miss Christmas. I want you to think, on that first night, on that first Christmas, Herod the Great, what was he doing? He was living in fear, and he was figuring out how he could continue to stand tall, how he could continue to be his own only little midget king. What were the religious leaders doing that night? I'll tell you what the religious leaders were doing that night. They were probably running a religious service. Do you know that? They were probably running through the religious motions, And they were lukewarm, and they were loving it. And then there were the people of Jerusalem. There were the people of Bethlehem. And what were they doing? Well, they were busy buying Christmas gifts, right? We got to get that special Christmas gift for that special person, right? And they're so busy with life. that they don't see him either. And can you believe it? And there, at the scene where the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is born, are the shepherds, and they're kneeling. They're kneeling. And you know what? They see him. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek. Because not only do they inherit the earth, they see him. They truly see him. Will you see him? Or will you miss Christmas? Lord, I'm always just amazed at the Christmas story. Of course, our Christmas crush has got it all wrong. <laughs> we have so many figures there. 
It's amazing. The only ones that are really there on that first Christmas are the lowly, the meek, the dregs of society. They're the only ones that ultimately look up and are able to see eternal things. Oh, I pray for each one of us that we won't see ourselves and our lives as so important that we continue to look down and we miss the truly important. I pray that each one of us now, this Christmas, will truly be able to look up and see the King of kings and the Lord of lords who alone brings us good news and can bring us life. I pray that for everyone here, and I ask for that in your precious name. Amen. Hi, I'm Jeff Eckstein, one of the pastors here at Bethlehem Community Church. Welcome to our Sunday podcast, coming to you from the town of Bethlehem in upstate New York in the USA. Bethlehem Community Church is an independent, non-denominational, Bible-based evangelical church that includes people with backgrounds from many denominations. We believe that it is only through the love of the Father, the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on the cross, and the power of the Holy Spirit that we can come into a personal relationship with God. We are people truly seeking a deeper intimacy with God and with one another. If you'd like to know more about our church, please visit our website at www.bccdelmar.org. There you'll be able to find our statement of faith, as well as more about the ministry of Bethlehem Community Church. You'll also be able to submit prayer requests as we are called to pray with and for you. We also would love to hear your story and how you found our podcast and where you're listening from. So please visit our website and send us an email. Again, it's bccdelmar.org. That's bccdelmar.org. Thank you for joining us as we continue our pursuit of knowing God and making Him known.